Hey everyone, welcome back to the Community Podcast. I'm your host, Timber Zaccardi. to the podcast, we talk about womanhood and well-being, joy and justice. I believe really strongly in the power of and, so we do lots of nuance here, and we build compassion and empathy for ourselves and others through conversations and storytelling. I have been thinking a lot about the title of this podcast, Calm Unity, a play on words. And I chose the name for the show very intentionally because I feel like this past year has really illuminated how so many of us are searching for a deeper sense of calm and a deeper sense of unity and community and connectedness, not only with the world outside of us, but also within ourselves. So choosing this name for the podcast was really intentional. I'm kind of a word nerd. But I love not only the meanings of words, but the intentions that they can hold. And I think it's important to understand that we can't know calm without also knowing chaos. And we can't know unity without also knowing disconnection and making friends with accountability. So I wanted to make this clarification before I dive into today's episode, which I'll be honest, is a bit chaotic in and of itself. Because when I recorded, I was deep in my thoughts and feelings, and I had to start and stop a few times because of being interrupted by my children. Um, and it ended up just kind of being more of a stream of processing <laughs> uh, than a neatly written package. But that's okay. I hope that you can take something away here from this episode today. Here we go. So I just wanted to talk to you today on my own about a few things that have been on my mind uh, recently. I've written down some notes and kind of an outline for where I want this uh, episode to go and the, the things that I want to talk about. But all of it kind of centers around this concept of this ambiguous they, you know, in air quotes, they, T-H-E-Y. Um, I feel like using the term they or them and creating a faceless, uh, nameless oppressor or force or something out there is a common tactic that I am seeing a lot of people engage in, even people who I'm, you know, trying to have dialogues with. It's always coming up, this concept of they. It's like this boogeyman that lives out there somewhere. And I just, I want to talk about that um, and unpack that. A little bit and I also wanted to record this maybe mainly for myself more than anything but uh, hopefully it'll resonate with you or I don't know just give you some validation or solidarity if you are thinking or feeling any of the same things that I am but I just needed to get some of this out and I talk to myself all the time my kids make fun of me for it. I'm always talking to myself or whispering to myself under my breath. So I might as well be talking to myself into a microphone and share it because I'm sure that I'm not the only one who's thinking and feeling some of these things. 
the first thing that I think is important to uh, talk about, to remember, or to understand, if maybe this is a new concept for you, is that if, again, like I mentioned before, if the force or the oppressor or the issue that we speak out against or stand against is faceless and nameless, for example, dehumanizing the other side, in air quotes, or quote unquote, they or them in the situation. If we are speaking against and standing against this ambiguous force that is faceless and nameless, then we are actually powerless against that. So we can talk about it all we want. (laughs) Um, There's actually nothing we can do about it if we can't name the issue or the problem or the person or the group or whatever that might be. Um, And being afraid of quote unquote, them or they leaves no room for nuance or no room for you to hold multiple truths, you know, in your mind and in your body that leaves no room for you to expand your ability to understand complex issues and injustices. Um, you know, conspiracy theories are a great example of this. They are always fueled by fear and manipulation And they are almost never based in truth or reality. Or there's, you know, just enough truth in there to hook you in. And then it goes completely off the rails. And I would invite you not to waste your life like this. There are things in life to be concerned about. Absolutely. And there it is. The power of and. We can find an avenue a lane, a vehicle in which we can take action or do work on an issue to make a real difference in our lives, in our community, or in the greater world, you know? And so, but we have to be able to name what it is that we are against, what it is that we're standing against, or who, who that is, you know? Um, And in addition to that, we have to be able to clearly articulate what we stand for. What are our values? What do we want to fight for? What do we want to see more of in the world? What kind of change do we want to embody and model? You know, so just internalizing fear and spreading it online without taking meaningful social action towards change will never do anything. We'll never really make a difference. And... I know a lot of people that have um, internalized a lot of this over the last year, and it mostly just makes me really sad. It makes me sad that there seems to be an inability to even engage in dialogue about this stuff um, directly with a lot of people in my life and some of the closest people to me in my life. And I just hope that those people won't regret living this way in 10 or 20 or 40 plus years. Another thing I've been thinking a lot about is how many people we see online, just regular people like you and me, but also um, how many activists, advocates, influencers online on Instagram, particularly in like the wellness space or the quote unquote spiritual space online, have really seemed to show an inability to hold nuance and discernment with regard to a lot of the social issues that have come to light that have always existed, but that we are just being 
forced to face and deal with. There are a lot of issues and a lot of things to care about. And we can't all care about everything and we can't all do something about everything, but we can find what we are most passionate about. And again, pick a lane, pick an avenue and something that we can work on and work towards. But a really disturbing trend that I've been noticing is that a lot of people who I used to maybe associate with or work with in the past have decided that anything that's not the number one issue that they care about, um, maybe that's, you know, natural health and wellness, maybe that's child and human trafficking, you know, whatever it may be, they've decided that anything outside of that that's going on in the world is a distraction, is a distraction orchestrated by, quote unquote, them to distract us. And I, th- I think that that's a really dangerous way to view our world and our, our shared collective reality that we live in because racism is not a lie or a distraction. Uh, white supremacy is not a lie or a media-made distraction. Misogyny, patriarchy, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera. These things are not lies. These things are not distractions. If nothing else, this is just really illustrative of how important digital literacy is now in the present moment and is going to have to be in the future for our children and not only our children, but our parents and our grandparents who are also hanging out online and being given this steady stream of fear and lies and language that dehumanizes other groups of people and that really serves to other us from anyone who's different or has a a different lived experience than us. So I'm recording this on Tuesday, March 23rd, and in the last seven days, we have heard news of two devastating uh, mass shootings. Uh, The first one in Atlanta, uh, that was last Tuesday night, so a week ago today, that was fueled by white supremacy, misogyny, racism, um, an angry white man who had unbelievably easy access to a firearm who killed eight people and injured a few more. Six of the eight people killed were Asian women. They were women who lived full and colorful lives. Um, And something I've noticed over time, over the years, as mass shootings have become normal for us, uh, um, is how there's always so much talk and attention around the perpetrator of the crime and very, very, very little talk about the victims and their lives and the colorful, complex, beautiful lives that they lived that were taken from them. And that's always heartbreaking for me to witness. And then today, March 23rd, well, I guess uh, yesterday, 
March 22nd, there was a mass shooting in Colorado in a grocery store. People of all ages were injured and killed by, again, a young white man with an assault rifle. But going back to what I was talking about before, the incidences of these two mass shootings, and they're not the only shootings that have happened this year, but they are the two that have received the most uh, news attention. Um, It's challenging, but important to learn how these domestic terrorist attacks, that's what I will call them. It's, It's challenging, but important to learn how they are often, almost always, rooted in and fueled by white supremacist ideology, whether it's overt or, you know, unconsciously there. And the attack in Atlanta, it was fueled by racism and misogyny. And all of that is related to purity culture and white American Christian culture. Um, There are also intersections of the realities of sex work and cultural biases against Asian women like the victims in Atlanta. And there are even intersections there with human trafficking issues. Again, it's complex but important to understand that the oppressive ideology that fuels, for example, child and human trafficking is the same as and related to the oppressive ideology that fuels misogyny, patriarchy, and racism, whether it's anti-Black racism, anti-Asian racism, etc. So we can't say that we care about human trafficking and then ignore the complex reality of the intersections at play in, you know, the, the attack in Atlanta and other other acts of violence and domestic terror that we have just become so accustomed to in our country, which is heartbreaking and devastating. And it's obviously weighing really heavily on me because that's why I'm talking about it. And, you know, so we have to be so careful to discern what is conspiratorial thinking and information versus what is really real, which is that racism exists and white supremacy exists and we have to choose not to look the other way or decide that it's too hard or too difficult or we don't want to believe that these things exist and are really at play um, in all of these devastating circumstances. And I say this because again, maybe a lot of people who were really loud about child and human trafficking have been confusingly quiet in wanting to be willing to see the role of racism and white supremacy and or even to acknowledge that these mass shootings have taken place at all, (laughs) Um, let alone showing a willingness to learn. And, you know, most of this work we can't do online. Like it's not, it's not Instagrammable. This type of internal learning and, and understanding. And so it's not, it's not necessarily fair to say that we should all be posting everything <laughs> that we're thinking and, and feeling and learning and unlearning online. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should. It's just that 
going back to an earlier point that I made, we can care about one issue more than others. That's fine because we don't all have the capacity to care about everything. But it's important to understand that if an issue that we are really passionate about, if we care a lot about that issue, then it's really important that we do engage in the challenging work of learning all of the intersections at play. Another thing that's um, something I've experienced and I know many people experience and I think is an invitation to inquire of ourselves and the conditioning that lives inside of us that often operates inside of us without our consent. And one of those things is that if we are in a, a white body, we might unconsciously and naturally get more defensive of another white body, of another white person who looks like us. Even if that person has caused harm, has victimized others, has killed others, this is this is our conditioning. This is white supremacist conditioning. This is the water that we swim in. And, you know, this is the work that myself and my guest, Maykel, talked about in the last episode about anti-racism. We have to understand that, you know, we might condemn the shooter in Atlanta because what he did was horrifying. But if we find ourselves saying, well, but I don't know if it was racially motivated, you know, I don't know if we should call him a racist. Like that is our conditioning coming to the defense of another white body because they look like us. And so we have to, or we can find that awareness within ourselves and understand when that's happening and ask ourselves why, why might that be happening? And do I really want to be sympathizing with that person in the situation? No, I absolutely do not. I want to do everything I can to empathize with the victims and the families of the victims. And I want to grieve with them. And along this line, another way that I see the concept of quote unquote, they play out is when we're talking about uh, women's issues and violence or discrimination against women. I would bet that if you're a woman listening, we have each been harassed or assaulted. Or if we haven't personally, we know a woman or many women who have been assaulted or harassed or discriminated against, etc., by men. Uh, but somehow most of us don't know a single perpetrator. And it's because the focus and the impossible responsibility in these scenarios is put on women, on the victims rather than the men, the people who perpetrate against them or against us. We can teach our girls how to be safe and aware, and we must teach our boys not to abuse. We can't teach our boys that, you know, girls get harassed or girls get raped or girls get assaulted. No, we need to be teaching our children that boys do that to girls. Men do that. This is that same concept. When we make the perpetrator ambiguous, nameless, faceless, the statistics are all about how many women suffer at the hands of assault, harassment, abuse. The statistics are never naming the ones who are perpetrating that harm. And so for me, in my opinion, this is another invitation to name the issue, name the force that's at play that we are standing up against in situations and conversations around 
misogyny, women's rights, girls' rights, um, as well as trans rights, LGBTQ plus rights, and anyone living in a marginalized identity, which is basically anyone that's not a white straight man. (laughs) I know that I'm kind of all over the place with this episode, and I told you at the beginning that I just wanted to talk through some things that have been on my mind, and so I apologize um, if this is a bit all over the place, if this is a bit scatterbrained. Um, I had a few notes written down, but this has been more of a stream of consciousness chat. So I hope that you've stuck with me and that you're sticking with me. But since I've titled this episode, Them, capital T-H-E-M, and we are talking about putting a name and a face to the them that we use in our language and our dialogue. There are two other points about this that I wanted to make really quickly. Um, Another one is when we start to feel superior to them. (laughs) It takes a lot of self-awareness, but a lot of times when we start to feel ourselves feeling superior to them, to people who are different than us, to people who live differently than us. That's actually rooted in shame and insecurity and inferiority and a lack of love and compassion and understanding, not just for others, but for yourself in a a deep way. And I think that we, this comes up for all of us in one way or another throughout our lives and depending on how we were raised and the division that we've experienced over the last year, I think has really cultivated a feeling of superiority from lots of different types of people. So, you know, what's necessary here? I think expanding our capacity for nuance, for duality, learning to believe others lived experiences and to find acceptance for others and for ourselves, you know, and to make peace with not knowing everything, (laughs) with getting it wrong sometimes and always being willing to learn and to change. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about how we compare ourselves to them. You know, it just goes back to cultural conditioning um, and the imaginary man or the imaginary made up ideals for every identity. Um, You know, we have like this female empowerment archetype (laughs) that's all over Instagram Um, or the perfect mom or perfect house. I mean, for women, it's just this never-ending stream of comparison. Um, And this is a topic that I would love to talk in more depth about, again, with a guest that I'm hoping to bring to you in the hopefully near future to unpack more of this concept. But comparison is another big one when it comes to thinking about the them in our awareness. (laughs) So... What can we take from all of this? I don't know. I should probably wrap this up with a bow and give you a call to action or something. Um, But basically all I'm thinking and feeling right now is that all of us remember to give ourselves moments throughout the day to be in the moment. If you listened to the last episode about anti-racism and compassion, 
with Mikkel Reese and myself, she had a lot of great advice and wisdom to share around unpacking what types of self-care we can engage in to not disconnect and not look away and not shut out all the hard stuff, but to actually care for ourselves, to expand our capacity to face these really hard things, to learn and unpack these really challenging realities that we're all facing. So again, let's just remember to give ourselves moments to be in the moment, to find stillness. We don't even have to be peaceful or content. We can just be still. Even if we're feeling anxious, we can find stillness and and awareness in in a moment. And because all of this is really heavy, and it's been a really heavy week, and it's a lot for all of us to hold. And what I decided to do for myself, so I'll invite you to do the same if you'd like, is to make a joy list. Because even though it's in the description that we will sometimes talk about joy on this podcast, I don't know if we've done a lot of that yet, (laughs) but more of that is coming. Um, But I have decided to make a joy list of things, whether they're tiny things or big things that bring me genuine joy. And so I'll invite you to do the same make a joy list of things that bring you genuine joy and challenge yourself to engage in one of those or even a handful of things if they're small on a weekly or monthly basis and you could keep that list on your phone or on your computer you could print it out you could hang it on your fridge and just help us find find joy in the days that will help us be able to keep going Thank you so much for listening. As always, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a rating or even a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Hey, you, if you're still here listening, I have one more note for us, really quickly. If you are as devastated, disgusted, heartbroken, angry, frustrated, etc. as I am about the gun violence in this country. I want to invite you to join me in joining Moms Demand Action. I joined Moms Demand Action a couple of years ago um, and it's really easy to get involved. Just text ACT, A-C-T, to this number 644-33. I will also put this in the show notes. Moms Demand Action and Everytown, uh, they make it really easy for you to learn about gun reform, gun safety, and how we can make a difference in our communities and push for um, gun legislation. We are not anti-gun. We are pro-common sense legislation that keeps people safer and alive. We are mothers and women who refuse to accept the shooting and violence and death that we've all been living with as normal. So join us in learning and using your voice to affect change.